0: Cows again, eat supper, then go to town and stay past midnight at the meeting of the school board. So God made a farmer.
1: My administration will be focused on three very important words. Jobs, jobs,
0: jobs. A policeman must be a minister, a social worker, a diplomat, a tough guy, and a gentleman. And of course he'll have to be a genius because he'll have to feed a family on a policeman's salary.
1: From this day forward... It's going to be only America first, America first. We, the citizens of America, are now joined in a great national effort to rebuild our country and restore its promise for all of our people. Because today, we are not merely transferring power from one administration to another or from one party to another.
2: That's right. My name is Scott Adams. You're listening to The Scott Adams Show. I want to thank everybody for tuning in today. So we're going to continue with this Durham report. This crazy, crazy country that we're living in that's just so corrupt in so many ways. And that's what we're going to tackle today because it's not just that we've been right the whole time. That's great. It's a great feeling to be right, you know, that we didn't disseminate fake information to you for the last 10 years. But let's face it. I mean, we are in trouble right now because there's something bigger going on. There's something greater going on than, than meets the eye. Because for... Someone like Hillary Clinton to not only just get away with it, but to be so arrogant about it. It's got to concern all of us. The root of that evil. The root of all evil, right? But the root of that evil. Hillary Clinton. She was empowered you know she never stepped out on the mat she never stepped onto the gridiron she never put a helmet on and played sports she never put herself out on the line she's a wimp what 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 my point is is where does she get off being so arrogant and so tough where does she get off being that tough? And I got to thinking about that and, you know, that arrogance, you know, like after Benghazi and all that. You know, Tonto Peranto was tough. Chris Tonto Peranto, I had him on the show. He was tough. He's a tough guy. He's a tough guy. I've met him, he's tough. He's a tough hombre. But Hillary Clinton, not so much. So, where does she get off with of that arrogance? Where does she get off being so tough? And I got to tell you, I have a problem with that toughness because it's because they are friends with the FBI, they're friends with the CIA, they're friends with USAID. They're friends with the money, they're friends with the weapons, they're friends with the arms, they're friends with the, the, the dastardly trio that represents the State Department, which is USAID, CIA, state diplomats, these Foreign Service uh, people that think they're so tough. They think they're so smart because they could speak multiple languages and travel around the world. But they're not that tough. And they're not that smart. So we're going to get into this. But you know, it, was, it amazed me yesterday when I was doing more research on this subject. And it amazed me to see Peter Strzok and, and Andy McCabe go at it. Peter Strzok tweeted this out. He said this, I couldn't believe my eyes when I read it. And it it really, I got to say, it kind of made me angry. You know, like I wanted to say pissed off, right? It it pissed me off. Because Pete Strock says this, Paul Manafort, guilty. Rick Gates, guilty. Mike Flynn, guilty. George Papadopoulos, guilty. Michael Cohen, guilty. Constant, Constantine Kilmanick wanted for $250,000. Michael Sussman, not guilty. Igor Denchenko not guilty. Point me to the confirmation bias here. Well, that would be true if we could actually say that the, uh, say that the, uh, that would be true if if we could say that this political politic politicization of our government. That would be true if it was it ended at the uh, water's edge. But it's seeped into our justice system. And you say, well, now you're really getting at the conspiracy. How can it be that you know our our justice system is all corrupt too? You can't have it all the way down the track. But I think that's where we are. So, like Michael Sussman and Danchenko were guilty from what I know of what they did. And yet they were declared not guilty. And Paul Manafort and Mike Flynn and George Papadopoulos and Roger Stone and Michael Cohen were not guilty. And they were all found guilty. And you just get to wondering, like like E. and Carroll, for example, right? In New York. The Bergdorf Goodman thing, which came right out of a Law & Order episode. And she can't remember the date of when she was raped. Then she has a tweet saying... My favorite show on the planet, after she was raped, by the way, after she was raped, she says, my favorite show on the planet is The Apprentice. I just love Donald Trump. (laughs) I love him. He raped me, but I love him. And so you get the idea that this is just unbelievable justice. I mean, how in the world does she get $5 million from Donald Trump when they said no to rape and yes to some sort of sexual battery or, or defamation? Because Trump basically said, this woman accused me of rape and I don't even know her and she wouldn't be my first choice. Oh, he hurt her feelings. She goes on Anderson Cooper, E. Jean Carroll does, and says rape is sexy. She has a dog or a cat that's named Vagina. She called her black husband an ape. This is E. Jean Carroll. She got $5 million awarded to her by a judge in New York. Now, they're going to appeal that but why does it even have to go that far? Why wasn't this case thrown out when she said, I don't really know when it happened? Why wasn't the case thrown out then? Does that make any sense to you? Doesn't make any sense to me. So I'm sorry about that. I can't make heads or tails out of it. We're living in a, just a We're living in a world that's just unbelievable. So we're going to listen to this Andy McCabe, not because I want to, but because we're going to learn from it. And that's about the only reason why we're listening to this. Andy McCabe, discounting the Durham report. It's incredible. Take a listen.
3: We knew from the very beginning exactly what John Durham was going to conclude. And that's what we saw today. We knew from the very beginning this was never a legitimate investigation. This was a political errand. To exact some sort of retribution on Donald Trump's perceived enemies in the FBI, that's what Mr. Durham has done.
4: And you stand by the original Russia investigation?
3: Absolutely, absolutely. Listen, the mistakes with the Carter Page FISA were were regrettable, should never have happened. And had I known about those mistakes in the packages, I never would have signed those applications. And shame on us for not knowing. it, we knew from the very beginning exactly what John Durham was going to conclude, and that's We're what we saw to that today. One more time. We knew from the very beginning this was never a legitimate investigation. This was a political errand to exact some sort of retribution on Donald Trump's perceived enemies in the FBI. That's what Mr. Durham has done.
4: And you stand by the original Russia investigation
3: absolutely absolutely listen the mistakes with the carter page fisa were were regrettable should never have happened and had i known about those mistakes in the packages i never would have signed those applications and shame on us for not knowing
2: he's not that stupid he signed because he was spying on a political campaign that's what he was doing and he was trying to dig up dirt on trump so that they could change the narrative from Hillary's emails to back in 2016. They were trying to change the narrative and they didn't have any dirt on Trump. So they were doing whatever they could to dig for dirt. And Trump, Trump did not have any dirt. That was Putin's beef, by the way. Putin said, we have nothing on Trump. We have nothing on this guy. And that was a problem for them. Because he had been an open slate. Everything that you saw, you got. You get what you see. And they didn't like that. And Trump, basically, in part because... Of his personification, his persona. Trump was basically like, I don't need any help. I don't need any financial help. I don't want any financial help. I'm rich. Now, we probably all agree Trump's not quite as rich as he might say he is. On paper, he's got a lot of money and all that. and He's got a lot of assets and Whatever. But for the most part, that was part of his braggadocia. And so he was basically like, I'm not even going to take a salary. I don't work for $400,000. That's chump change. I got pride and I have an ego. Okay, fair enough. And I think all that played out. And again, it's, 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 you get what you see. But. The problem for for the globalists is that he didn't take the corporate money. And because he didn't, then, you know, you have this big problem. This is what concerns me about the Twitter's CEO, the new CEO of Twitter. This woman is not only a World Economic Forum spokesperson. She is an NBC advertiser. And I had this conversation with somebody in the business yesterday. I was invited to go to an event uh, that I can't go to this weekend. Um, But nevertheless, we had this great conversation and I was talking to them. And, uh, you know, I was talking about. This, this, all the all, all the globalist agenda, and that uh, the, the, the Twitter situation is that everybody knows that Elon Musk took over Twitter, and everybody knows that he said we're going to end censorship. Right, we're going to put that to to rest. I, I can't square that, right? Censorship should not be on this platform. That being said, the person that was this person was representing got canned, got basically ousted uh, shut down on Twitter. With with almost a hundred thousand followers, this person got shut down for not doing anything illegal. And um And this happened within the last 30 days. So I don't know what's going on with Twitter. You know, I I don't know. But I will say this. The reason why Elon Musk hired this woman from the World Economic Forum is because he hemorrhaged all this advertising. He hemorrhaged all this wealth. And Elon Musk is a globalist. He is. He and this guy Eisner from Disney, who's back on Disney now, but he, he was on Disney in 2017, and Donald Trump put together this business panel, and the business panel was such that he wanted everybody to contribute to what, the, what does business in America need to prosper, to, to, to succeed Where's the government going wrong? Where's the government going right? How can we get it so businesses in America can flourish and thereby hire more people? And so he put together this business uh, panel, all the great business minds. And the first two to defect from the business panel were Elon Musk and this guy Eisner from Disney. And so the question is, why in the world did they do that, right? Why did they do that? And they did it because Trump got out of the Paris Agreement. And the Paris Agreement was was all about climate. And it was all about slave labor. And when these people, the Disney, wanted to get access to Chinese markets and... Elon Musk wanted to get access to slave labor to make his batteries for his cars. And as soon as they got out of the Paris Agreement, they knew that China, that was going to be bad for their business. And they left. So that's why I'm so reserved about Elon Musk. But his new CEO is a globalist. She's going to get all the BlackRock-owned corporations to invest and And come back and advertise with Twitter. And at some point, he's going to then make that profitable again. But what is he going to have to do in return? And he's going to go woke. And eventually, you know, who knows what's going to happen with that? Uh, I think we have a caller. Caller on the, uh, you're on the air.
1: Yes. Hi, Scott. Um the reason I called in was you have a yesterday show keeps going in and out in the background.
2: Yeah, I I, I can't help that. Um you know, I'm right now doing a live show and uh and and we're going to have to make the most of it. But um you know, thing. what what the what I would recommend is- what I would recommend for anybody that listens in if you are having some trouble uh, we are airing. Uh, if you go to scottadamshow.com dot com, my website scottadamshow.com dot com, there are three players that receive a stream, and one uh, one is Scott Adams, uh, the the root where we actually tap into, and the others are all relays. And uh, you can also go in Philly. To 1180wfyl.com and listen to us as well. So that would be my response to that. But the best way to go is scottadamshow.com and you, you have access to three players. If one's not working, the others might be.
1: Okay, I have one other comment um, about uh, um, things. Uh, artificial intelligence, AI, only knows part of what's happened in the past. But God knows the future.
2: Okay. okay. you know, you know Have a um, good one, day. One, well, well, hang on. Hang on. Before you go, I will say one thing about artificial intelligence. Right now, as we stand, a lot of people are talking about artificial intelligence. And it, I've had this conversation with somebody else. And what artificial intelligence is, and I come from 30 years of technology. I'm, a, I'm an IT person with 30 years of experience. And I will tell you that um, when people say something is in the cloud, it's not in a cloud. It's in a server, yeah. right? It's, right. In, it's, it's, it's on, on the ground floor somewhere. It's, it's, it's in a box. You know, it's, it's right. in, a, in a computer room. All right. So when you talk about hubs and clouds they are they're just basically computerized rooms that are air conditioned with a bunch of super powerful computers that are processing data. Okay, that's number 1. Right, with
1: data, a lot of data storage.
2: Right. And that's number 1. Number 2, when you talk about artificial intelligence. Say if I were to say Alexa what, what tell me the weather. And she tells me the weather, right? Because it's an Amazon device called an Echo and it tells me the weather. What's the difference between Alexa telling me the weather or a traffic pattern or a direction to a destination? What's the difference between that and artificial intelligence? And I will tell you the answer Is zero, meaning that artificial intelligence as we stand right now is a glorified, repackaged search engine. So if I go to Google and I type in something, right, I type it in and I say, tell me all about, you know, Marilyn Monroe and boom, Marilyn Monroe shows up. All the information I want about Marilyn Monroe is right there in front of me. Um, at that point, though, that's not artificial intelligence. That's just a search and a query. So artificial intelligence is just a repackaged response to a query. It's no different than search engines. It's no different than what Google's been doing for the last 30, 20 years, 25 years. It's no different than um, than what the Amazon Echo devices are doing when they tell us the weather. It's really just repackaged and they're calling it artificial intelligence. Now, the capacity of this though, is that it's being driven by a bunch of liberal minded people. And the disinformation is going to be information, not disinformation, but real information. And that's the problem.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I had, uh, I tried an artificial intelligence to to rewrite a Twitter post, and it was it was bad.
2: <laughs> right, right, right. They're, they're going to take They're that's that's their way. They're going to take. And I know you're a very religious man. Your, your your name is Jonathan, right? And right. And I I they're going to take God out of every response. You see what I mean? And they're yep. going to teach people. Uh, I think in a way that's, that's ungodly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. All right. Take care. Thank you for calling in. All right. Well, um, yeah, if you'd like to call in, uh, you can do that. Uh, I got to make sure that it doesn't ring through the show though. Um, we, we get a lot of calls and, um, and and the problem is we can't always take the calls, um, but every once in a while we can, and uh, and so if you want to call in, it's two one five top talk, that's two one five like the Philadelphia area code, and then eight six seven eight two five five, and that would be the way you'd call in. All right, I have a clip that I want to play. It's um, with Will Kane. Will Kane about the Durham situation. And here's a thread, uh, someone I follow on Twitter, Kanakoa the Great. He says, the FBI worked as as a disinformation outlet for Hillary Clinton and the DNC to frame Donald Trump as a Russian agent to sway the outcome of the 2016 election. And then they did it again and with Hunter Biden's laptop during the 2020. Of course, we we know all that. And the question is, what are we going to do about it? Right. We can talk about it. We can complain about it. What are we going to do about it? And what we have to do is defund the FBI. And right now, the Republican Congress, the House of Representatives, has the power of the purse, so first, we're going to take a listen to a couple of things. It's not going to be Will Kane. It's going to be um, basically Andrew Clyde from Georgia and Maria uh, over on Fox Business. I don't watch Fox News anymore, uh, but I do watch Maria Bartiroma. And uh, I watch her on Fox Business and uh, on Sunday Morning Futures. But this one was from just today. It's fresh Information. So let's take a listen to this.
5: Uh, you know, you said the FBI. I think that we need to uh, keep the FBI responsible. Uh, and the only thing they listen to is funding. And so I think the FBI, honestly, needs a significant cut, as you have seen in, uh, in the Durham report. Um, there's issues there, issues that have not been addressed since 2016 and 2017. Uh, Director Ray, you know, the names have changed. I think the conduct is the same. So uh, we're going to have to significantly address them in appropriations.
6: Yeah, I mean, the White House is refusing to comment on the Durham report. You know that Congresswoman Marjorie Taylor Greene introduced articles of impeachment against FBI Director Christopher Ray. Tennessee Congressman Tim Burchett joined me on Monday on how else the GOP can hold the FBI account. Watch this.
4: We have the power of the purse, Maria. Um, The Congress is 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 this country's checkbook, and we can start cutting funds to the FBI. They bungled so many cases as of late, and they continue to do so. And their arrogance is such that I think the um, uh, you know it's not the rank and file FBI agents.
6: Congressman, I know that your appropriation subcommittee oversees that funding for the FBI. What are the numbers being talked about in terms of cutting back on funding for the FBI?
5: Well, Maria, I honestly think the FBI needs to be made so small that they're not worth corrupting anymore. That's my opinion of it. Uh, We are not going to give them what they have asked for. In fact, uh, it wouldn't surprise me if we go back to the last actual authorization, which was 2009. Uh, I think that wouldn't be a bad thing. Uh, They need to learn that they have to maintain strict fidelity to the law and the Durham report has shown that they're not doing that uh, and that continues to be that that way this day I mean just look at how they've treated President Trump versus President Biden with regard to classified documents yeah I mean there is a two-tiered system of justice here and the FBI needs to understand that their job is strict fidelity to the law and they're not doing it
6: so is it just money or do you agree that Christopher Wray has to go I mean let's face it we've got the Russia collusion story They sat on the Biden laptop while President Trump was getting impeached. There are other issues that we talk about every day with regard to the bias at the leadership at the top of the FBI. Are you also looking to impeach Christopher Wray?
5: Well, you know, they're also pushing back on House subpoenas for FBI documents that they're just not providing. You know, that's arrogance. That is incredible arrogance. And they need to learn uh, that that's not the way that this government operates. Uh, you know, impeachment is one thing, but uh, I definitely know that we can hold them accountable through the power of the purse.
2: All right. We will leave. The- hey, you know, look, Christopher Ray. If I ever got an interview with Donald Trump, I think my first question would have to be, why the hell did you hire Christopher Ray? Why in the world did you replace Comey with Chris Ray? Why did you do it? And I, for the life of me, can't square that. I just can't. I cannot... Square it. Why did Trump do that? You know, if, if I have a beef with Trump and everybody knows how much I like him. I have a real problem with that. I have a real problem with that hire. I I don't know what the heck he was thinking. All right, let's take a listen to this. This is uh, the Durham investigation was a flop. Uh, but it's a propaganda triumph, is what the Washington Post said. So basically, again, what we were talking about is the mainstream media doesn't want to cover the Durham report. And not only that, but because they've been lying to the American people, the stupid Democrats that bought into all this, um, they have to cover their bases and say, well... We didn't really lie to you for the last five years, but they did. Democrats, they're like little babies, right? They need pacifiers in their freaking lips, right? They just need a pacifier in their mouth. They need to be told it's okay and a little tap on the head. It's all right. We didn't lie to you. And they're just so unbelievably naive, about what they consume for news. Every time I have a debate with a, a liberal on the streets, you know, like in in real life, it's uncanny. It, like it happens a hundred percent of the time. Like, well, you 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 study this stuff more than I do. I don't. I don't. So, <clears throat> not only are they the first to throw out like a jag, a, a dagger. They're the first to throw out a dagger, talk under their breath, or say something stupid out loud because they can't control themselves. And then when you chime in, they don't want to discuss it. They just want to throw the dagger and not have the debate, you know. And it's it's very frustrating. But let's take a listen to this. This is a predictable, sad oh, ending oh, to an event. By the way, this is Peter Strzok. Okay, this is Peter Strzok. Uh, Peter Strzok. He had the affair with Lisa Page. He was a, a, a rogue FBI agent, corrupt as can be, and here he is on R- Joy Reid or with the, you know, Joy Reid, and uh, and he's. On MSNBC, and he's given his two bits.
7: Investigation that never should have taken place. What we have here is John Durham, a U.S. attorney, taking a role traditionally reserved for criminal prosecutions and essentially writing a four-year editorial for what he and Bill Barr thought that Donald Trump wanted to hear.
6: Can you imagine an investigation that never should have taken place? No kidding. He was leading the investigation. And we all knew that back in 2018. I was talking every week with then Intelligence Committee Chairman Devin Nunes about what Peter Strzok was up to during the early days of the Russia probe. Watch this. Some of these texts that were revealed from Peter Strzok to his girlfriend, Lisa Page, uh, about a media leak strategy. Peter Strzok says to uh, her, I had literally just gone to find this phone to tell you, I want to talk to you about media leak strategy with DOJ before you go. Twelve days later, he says, article is out. Well done, Page.
1: The FBI and DOJ would go out and leak fake news stories in many cases plant them, in many cases, and then pick up those fake news stories to use it as a pretext to go out and interview American citizens.
6: Yeah, just to be clear, that was 2018, Congressman, okay, we were seeking truth and searching for the truth on this program, on Sunday Morning Futures, and we had the truth tellers. So we knew what was going on. I know you were a long time uh, to former President Trump, a a supporter. What is your reaction to this?
4: Well, Maria, I proudly worked in the White House for the president for almost all four years that he was there, and we knew this was a hoax. We knew it then, and what we're seeing now is how concerning is it what the DOJ is doing, how they've handled President Trump, and how they're handling the Hunter Biden and Joe Biden in this situation. Yeah. What this does to the American people is it sows distrust within the deep state that is real within Washington, D.C., and it's eroding faith within our judiciary system. We need to find individuals who want to be within our judiciary who don't want to act in their personal opinion, but act by the rule of law. And that's what we don't see, not only within Washington, D.C., but we don't see it across our entire country, and we need to restore that faith. And they have broken it without question.
6: Part of it is the mainstream media. Kaylee McGee-White, brought this up earlier. Uh, Kaylee, jump in here because we're still waiting on accountability six years later. Yeah, Congressman, your colleague Andrew Clyde was on the program earlier, and we asked him what congressional Republicans plan to do to hold the FBI accountable for the Defunding. failures outlined in the Durham report. So I would ask you, would you, would you be willing to commit to uh, funding cuts for the FBI? Would you be willing to commit to the impeachment of um, Director Christopher Wray? What are the actions that you and your colleagues are committed to taking moving forward?
4: Well, we just got this report, the 20-page report, and it's incredibly damning, and the best part is the American people can see this for what it is, and they're going to, and we all have, which is sows distrust within our judiciary system. We will look at every possible option in order to hold the FBI accountable, and when it comes to possible FISA reauthorization later on this year, maybe that's something that we'll take a look at, but without question, you know, the director of the FBI has sown distrust within the American people, and I believe that James Comer and And Jim Jordan and our two chairmen of Oversight and Judiciary are going to hold him accountable. They are going to bring his feet to the fire. And we do need to take a look at the individuals within the FBI because right now, as a congressman, I have a little bit of, and by a little bit, I have a lot of distrust from what I'm seeing from the FBI. It is completely corrupt. It is completely wrong. And the American people and President Trump deserve much better than what they're currently getting out of this administration and out of this You know, agency within the federal government and the FBI under the DOJ.
6: Yeah, well, many people feel that way. They've completely lost trust in these agencies, and we just learned from the Twitter files how they colluded with the media to amplify lies and suppress truth. Congressman, we're going to keep a spotlight on it. Thanks.
2: Well, you know, when they defund the FBI, then the left is going to be like, we are all about funding the police. And it's the Republicans that are defunding the police. Yeah, you know, we're no, we're defunding corruption. That's what we're doing. But they're going to spin it in in a way that's just incredible. And you know, Congress is all about funding, you know, appropriations, right? And so we have this debt ceiling situation that's going on, and McCarthy and Biden are talking. Biden should not be president of the United States. For a multitude of reasons, there was election fraud in 2020, and he is a disaster of a person, right? He's a corrupt criminal. And I can't even square that. Every time I mention Biden gets to talk with McCarthy about the debt ceiling. I have to say that as a caveat, because you know, he only won because of election fraud. And here he is. We have to deal with this guy, this criminal, who's tearing our country apart. And this is what we're dealing with. Right? There's no way that this guy got 81 million votes. But, okay, here we are. And This is Kevin McCarthy having to deal with this debt ceiling.
3: Had we been able to talk for those 97 days, we could have got a lot done. But unfortunately, you you narrowed what we could talk about. You made mischaracterizations of what Republicans would do. So let's stop the political games. Let's get down. We've only got 15 days to go. Um, And let's be serious about this. And he agreed with that tactic.
6: Joining me right now is the Washington Examiner, Editor-in-Chief, Hugo Gurdon. Hugo, good to see you. Thanks very much for being here. Looks like the Republicans are finally united on this, and they're getting, uh, it looks like, a victory here. Uh, is the president caving?
0: Yes, I think this is a really uh, important moment for, you know, we've had a number of debt ceiling crises in the past, and in every case, uh, the public has thought that the Republicans are more to blame. It looks as though the Republicans have been, uh, because they've been united, and because they've done something reasonable, which is to pass legislation which actually would uh, raise the debt ceiling at the same time as cutting some spending, they are the ones who are clearly seen to have taken some action. It is the president which, who for, as, as the the speaker said for 97 days was sort of holding out and refusing to discuss the ceiling at the same time as spending. But last week he blinked uh, and it was interesting because he blinked by saying there are certain things like the student loan uh, forgiveness and uh, other things which he would take off the table such as the Inflation Reduction Act and that implied that there were certain things which were on the table which he was willing to negotiate about. And Even though he says that the two things are unconnected and they're going uh, going along in parallel, it's perfectly clear that the Democrats and President Biden have blinked. They are discussing spending cuts, and they could have been doing this for the last three months and should have been doing this for the last three months. But there is a possibility, as uh, the uh, speaker speaker said, that uh, they could get a deal done by the end of the week. And obviously they should, because a default would be a calamity. Of course.
2: Right. Uh, So the the issue here is this. we keep having a debt ceiling increase because we, we are spending more than we're bringing in. And, and, and the problem is, is that unless you negotiate before you give the limit increase, which is going to happen, you have to then uh, look at the budget that they presented and say, we're going to cut this budget. We're not going to agree to the budget. So if you want me to increase the debt ceiling, uh, you, we're going to have to revisit this budget. And we're going to take all that pork out. And that's what they're doing right now. That's uh, And it's a big deal. It is a very big deal. Well, John Fetterman participated in a Senate Banking Committee hearing with former CEO of Silicon Valley Bank. And I said, shame on my Democrat friends for voting for this monster. I mean, this guy, I mean, they're so partisan. My Democrat friends would vote for a slug, a sludge, a worm, if they could, just to prevent Trump from being president. They don't care about our country. They don't care about America first. They, they, And they don't even know that... Like black people that don't realize that Democrats are the plantation owners, keeping them in a corral. They don't realize that they're being played as fools. Black Lives Matter is being used like a mule by the Democrats. The Democrats don't realize that they're being played for fools by the globalists. That they think that somehow climate is cool, When climate is about slave labor. When they think open borders is about freedom and humanity. When it's about sex trafficking, slave labor, and election rigging. And they thought that the pandemic was something other than, you know, like uh, uh, something that happened that we were all need to join together to beat this thing when in fact it was about social credit scores and vaccine mandates and globalist agendas, empowering, uh, creating inflation, taking wealth out of the middle class and giving it to the power elite, whether it's Pfizer or BlackRock or the World Economic Forum. They thought that somehow what was happening in the Middle East was about peace when in fact it was about oil. They thought that somehow the overthrow of Egypt and Mubarak and the murder of Gaddafi was a good thing and it was a bad thing. It was about taking out toll collectors. They were too expensive for their black market oil to run out of Iraq and Baghdad into Africa traded for gold and cobalt or running north through Syria. And when they said Putin's a bad g- dude, they were really just basically complaining that Putin was their chief competitor that they wanted to put out of business so they could profit from the oil that they stole from Iraq and wanted to then send up to Europe. And they were paying the people that cut off the heads of our journalists, like Foley, uh, the ISIS rebels. And Obama used to call them ISIL. And they used to cut off the heads of journalists. And we thought, how terrible. But it was America that was paying the ISIS rebels, as mercenaries to guard the oil pipelines that were making the globalists rich. Thank you very much. I'm probably one of the few people that's telling you this on a daily basis, and it's a damn shame that that, that that's the case. Because more people should be saying what I just said. And I'm so sick and tired of these lies surrounding us. I I just wish I had a bigger megaphone to tell the world that this is what's happening. It's so frustrating sometimes. And my Democrat friends voted for this guy, John Fetterman. From Pennsylvania. And I was just uh, informed that there's a a window of opportunity where if a senator were to not not be a um, not not be able to. um, I think it's like there's a window of opportunity, like if if you elect a senator and then within like three months, if they uh, can't do the job, if they die or something like that then you get a, re, re, uh, you get a re-election. You, you have to do the election over. But after a certain date, like August 15th, um, that senator then gets replaced by the governor. And, and there's a governor. Uh, a governor would choose the senator to replace. So if it's a Democrat governor, in this case it, it is, Shapiro, Um, in Pennsylvania it would be a Democrat governor then they would pick another Democrat. But if Fetterman doesn't make it to August 15th then they have to do another election. Now I just heard that yesterday by a friend of mine and let's take a listen to this though see if this see if you can understand what Fetterman is saying on the Senate floor talking to Silicon Valley Bank CEO. Is
8: is it staggering? Is it a staggering responsibility that 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 the head of a bank could literally could literally crash our economy? It's astonishing. That's like if you have, I mean, like, and and they also realize is that 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 now they have it's in a guaranteed a guaranteed way to be saved by no again by no matter no by, by by how you know. So it's, it's, you know, isn't it appropriate that the, those kinds of the, this kind of control should be more stricter to prevent this kind of thing from going? Or should we just go on and start bailing and sailing whoever bank, regardless of how how their their conduct is, you know, I'll give you an example. Uh, the Republicans want to give a, a work requirement for SNAP. You know, for a, 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 a hungry family has to, to have these this kind of penalties or these some kinds of word working uh, requirements. Shouldn't you have a working requirement after we sell your bank with billions of your bank? Because they seem to be more preoccupied uh, when than SNAP uh, and requirements for works for hungry people, but not about protecting the tax the tax papers you know that will bail no matter whatever does about a bank to crash it sure
2: and then he just tossed it he just said i'm done (laughs) the guy didn't make any sense you know i mean it's it's just sad. And you know, I remember a reporter not that long ago when he got back from the hospital said, are you still going to run for president? What the heck? I mean, it's bizarre, isn't it? All right. I want to listen to this. Uh, Will. K- I want you to hear this Will Kane um, thing. Uh, It's about uh, the Durham report. Let's take a listen to this.
7: Because this is on a night where it's confirmed that the FBI worked to rig the outcome of an American presidential election. Look, we already knew that Crossfire Hurricane, the investigation into Russia collusion with Donald Trump, was fairy dust. It was fake. It was nothing. As Matthew McConaughey said in Wolf of Wall Street, it was a fugazi, a fugazi. It was a wazi. It was a woozy. It was nothing. But what we learned today with the long-anticipated release of the Durham report is that the FBI worked as a disinformation shop for Hillary Clinton and the Democratic National Committee. Special counsel John Durham's report shows us that the same people that lecture you today about threats to democracy nearly destroyed it by using our intelligence agencies to target the then-Republican nominee for president and then later sitting President Donald Trump. The entire story begins not by rigging an election against Donald Trump, though. It starts with rigging an election in support of Hillary Clinton. Just weeks before the FBI launched the Crossfire Hurricane Investigation, WikiLeaks released tens of thousands of emails proving the Democratic National Committee had rigged its 2016 primary in favor of Hillary Clinton. The victims here Democratic voters and Bernie Sanders. The DNC and Hillary Clinton herself knew that that primary was rigged. They knew those emails were real. So together, they immediately worked to discredit the leaks. They immediately worked to discredit the idea that they rigged that Democratic primary and their plan to do so. Dismiss it all as the contents of Russian propaganda and lay it there at the feet of Donald Trump. HILLARY CLINTON, IN MY ESTIMATION, IN THE FIRST SMOKING GUN OF THE NIGHT, PERSONALLY APPROVED A PROPOSAL FROM ONE OF HER FOREIGN POLICY ADVISORS TO, QUOTE, VILIFY DONALD TRUMP BY STIRRING UP A SCANDAL, CLAIMING INTERFERENCE BY RUSSIAN SECURITY SERVICES. THERE YOU HAVE THE PLAN, THERE YOU HAVE THE MOTIVE. NOW, THEN YOU GO ON, ACCORDING TO DURHAM'S REPORT, TO SEE THAT U.S. INTELLIGENCE AGENCIES KNEW, IN FACT, WHAT HILLARY WAS TRYING TO DO. Almost immediately, senior members of our intelligence community began acting on those allegations, treating them as fact. Here's some familiar names. How about CIA director John Brennan, who briefed then-president Barack Obama, his then-vice president, Joe Biden, and FBI director James Comey, along with the attorney general, briefed them all on Hillary's conspiracy theory to tie Trump to the DNC hack. Brennan effectively acted as a Clinton surrogate by bringing her allegations to the highest levels of the U.S. government, and he wasn't the only one. That same summer, the real plan begins to unfold. The Clinton campaign and the DNC, through a firm called Fusion GPS, paid a former British spy named Christopher Steele to compile intelligence to tie Trump to Russia. But the intelligence that Fusion GPS put together was a series of scandalous, salacious nothing burgers what became known as the Steele dossier gave you one of the most absurd claims that we've heard over the last five years that donald trump once urinated on russian hookers and boy did the media eat up that story
3: a day that began with clips of james comey former FBI director, all over television telling ABC News that he cannot rule out that the infamous P tape mentioned in the Steele dossier is real.
2: Honestly, never thought these words would come out of my mouth, but I don't know whether the, the current president of the United States was with prostitutes peeing on each other in Moscow in 2013. It's possible, but I don't know.
3: The P tape or whatever
7: oh the heck it is has credibility. Well, everybody likes saying pee tape.
2: But the Durham report
7: shows us today that that allegation is debunked, not only debunked, but that a Clinton ally named Charles Dolan was likely behind the p tape. Dolan previously worked on both of Bill Clinton's presidential campaigns, and he was advised in in 2008. Dolan, a DNC operative, was in Moscow at the same time as Steele's main source, a man named Igor Danchenko.
2: We've talked about that at Danchenko, a Brookings Institute uh, guy. And, uh, you know, they did it. And it's nice to to talk to my liberal friends and say, uh, you know, told you so. But they are still, uh, you know, basically their minds are made up. And we're going to have to do this on our own. We're going to have to take back our country on our own uh, because there, there's just something else going on. But uh, in any case, that brings us to the end of the Scott Adams show. I appreciate you all listening. Uh, be sure to check out magpact.org. Make a donation if you can to help us support America First policies to make America great. Again, use Red State as your promo code over at MyPillow.com. And we'll see you next time on the radio. Bye-bye, everybody.